Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, when you hear me introduce Pam Patanka at the beginning of our conversation, I heard myself say, Pam Patanka is sales. Her practice is sales and Pam Patanka is sales. Now, you might get the image that she's, you know, a slick salesperson, sort of a female Willie Loman who gets out there and, and tries to sell people things they don't need. No, no, this is not that kind of sales person. She leads a sales team for the North America territory of Burke and Elmer with uh, a line of products and services, two products for the kinds of laboratories that we count on to keep us healthy, to work the magic that laboratories do from our CDC to our private laboratories. And Pam and her team make sure that they get what they need when they need it. Uh, which when you hear her and me talk, you'll know is why she is about sales. She loves, really loves that feeling uh, that she has closed the gap and put her customers in better shape to do what they are best to do. Now she had been my student uh, back, uh, I think graduating in 2007. Uh, so some years have passed for both of us and it's a wonderful reunion. So you hear a little bit of the, you know, the, the longing that I have as, a, as now a retired teacher to hear what she remembers about the learning in my classes. And I can give you a quick preview of that answer. It works to this day. She learned a lot about how to value differences, variety, rapid change, and really look forward to no day being the same as the day before. And that was essentially what I taught for 50 years. So here is, uh, without further yakking on my part, Pamela Potenka. Well, I'm back, folks. I'm back. There was a, a few weeks where I was reprising conversations with Peter Vale, which then gave me some time to do some more work on uh, promoting the new book on practice as a way of being. And uh, I was delighted to have the first person that I lined up uh, to return to regular episodes with very smart and interesting people was Pam Patanka. Uh, and like some of the folks you'd see in my whole roster of 180 other episodes, she was a student of mine. And Pam, I, I track you down. I mean, I you can never get away from the dark. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and one reason that, um, and many reasons that I like to reconnect with Pam, and I used to have her as a guest in my class, is that she has a complete feeling for sales. She's not just about sales or she can sell. She is, in a way sales. And she developed that very effectively early in her career at a company called Beakley here in Connecticut, which was doing uh, medical um, testing devices. 
And here it is some years later, and she's back in the laboratory, back working now with another very venerable company, Perkin Elmer. And she is the, say it again, Pam. Service sales manager for North America. That's a lot for a guy my age to remember. <laughs> That's all right, Doug. I didn't That's get right. to write it down. And I could That's have been okay. prepared. But I love the sound of it. Service sales manager. So does that mean that what you sell along with the product, the Perkinama product to those labs is continual service? Correct. Yes. Yes. So we not only provide the instruments that are required in, in these laboratories, which is that that component is from a different division. My team, essentially, we provide any um, items that are needed to maintain the service on those instruments. So mm. we we generally sell consumables or parts that are needed to maintain the life of, of the instrument. We also work directly with our service engineers that are out in the field doing repairs and helping customers. So that's the service component, you might say, to uh, mm. to what my team does. And I suspect that these are the kind of instruments for laboratories that uh, do require uh, re careful calibration, careful attention to anything that might throw off what they um, what they're doing in the lab, which is, I assume, a lot of it is measuring. It is, yes, yes. Um, honestly, we work with a lot of different industries. Uh, our instruments are so precise that if you took an Olympic-sized swimming pool and put a drop of blood in it, our instrument could detect it in all of that water. So these are very sophisticated. We work with a lot of environmental labs, FDA, um, you know, food, pharmaceutical, air quality, soil testing, you name it. If, if you've breathed it in, drank the water or eaten something or taken a Tylenol, our company's touched it. There's a trend, and I don't want to you know, sound crude, but I guess I will. There's an important trend, though, mm -hmm. of, of when, COVID, when COVID really was kicking in, is to look at, at wastewater coming out of the treatment plants in mm -hmm. various cities, and they could detect COVID. Is that something you guys measure, or is that your competitor's job? <laughs> no, actually, oddly enough, we we once COVID hit, we spent a lot of money and attention into a division. Um, we we have done COVID testing. We have developed instruments that do COVID testing and um, come up with different techniques, not just in people, but like you said, in you know various other elements. Effluents, so. yeah. In fact, I heard. Uh, a disturbing story, uh, I believe it was about uh, New York, where they detected signs of more polio virus in New York City, in Manhattan, through the waste waste treatment. It's, that's uh, the drop in the pool kind right. of uh, kind of uh, testing, and and so important uh, to all aspects of our lives, as you say, air, water, and all of that. So, what? Um, what do you think about me saying that you're all about sales or is that just a cliche or does that ring a bell? No, I think you're spot on doc. And um, I think sometimes sales gets a bad name because, you know, people mm -hmm. think of a, of a, you know, a used car salesman, but it's, it's really not, you know, it's just the thing that I really enjoy about sales. And I would probably say for the majority of people that I have on my team right now is that it's, 
every sales job you get, it is it is still sales, but you're you're educating people, determining their needs, and creating a solution rather than just trying to get money from somebody. From somebody, it's more. I would say my any sales job I had has has been consultative. Just just to you know clarify that. No, oh, that's an important clarification. And yep. I I you know and with both of us in the business school back in the day, I. I, I wish there was a lot more, you know, curriculum level attention to the nature of sales because it's business, you know, in nonprofit right. and government, it's a whole different premise. But in in business, you've you you got to learn to listen in a very uh, keen way. You, you have to have the relationships in the internal infrastructure to be able to say, hey, I've heard from, you know, in your case with the COVID time, I've heard that there's really serious uh, concern now that this virus is spreading worldwide. And can we can we get involved with it and or can we convert some of our equipment or what what can we do? So that conversation, big C conversation, is crucially important. And the first to hear sometime, the first to say, uh, would be people on your team. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're not just out there fixing or sustaining what you've, you know, what you've sold. Uh, but I suspect that you are listening when you're out there to see what it's, else is going on, reading their environment, what we call the context in the book that Peter and I did. And I'm noticing, I'm sure, even though laboratories seem to me, to be nice, quiet places where you step through the door and it's all of a hush. An outside world is going crazy, but you're in the lab. But I suspect there's even uh, evidence of some upset and change in laboratories that you can tune into. Absolutely. Absolutely. How does your team acquire those first signs of something new or what we, I guess you guys call the pain point? Right, right. Yeah, it, the laboratories are interesting. Uh, like you said, they are kind of like a quiet, confined space. So it, it's not always the easiest to get an answer out of somebody that's not used to talking throughout the entire day. I can tell that is a challenge. But it, <laughs> I, always, I, always, I always go back to the 80-20 rule. Let them talk 80% and you talk the 20 And I feel like the the biggest success has been asking people, you know, what do you do on a daily basis? Tell me about your your lab, because people love to talk about themselves, even if they yeah. even if they're the quietest person in the world. If you show interest in what they're doing, and if they talk about their day, then ultimately it's going to come out that oh yeah, you know, this is what I do on a daily basis. I just wish, you know, there was you know X Y Z was was different, and then bingo now we have to come up with a solution so i would say that's that's the biggest uh takeaway for me and my team oh i think you're you you must have already read our book right because that's what we say that practice is it's what people love to talk about when you ask them what do you love doing or what are you doing now we've discovered that while there are all kinds of rather scientific ways to try to get a better understanding of human in practice that the best way we've found is conversation. And it mm-hmm. goes with this kind of question, Pam, what do you do on a daily basis that you love doing? 
Right. Right. And It'll what's your answer? <laughs> what's your answer? My answer is, um, is uh, every day is different. That's what I love about what I do on a daily basis. Every day is different. Every day there's a new challenge. There's a new change. It's never boring. Mm-hmm. It's always a learning uh, situation. Let's, let's say that. Learning what opportunity. Be, yeah, what would be an example of some, one of those times recently when you were sort of sailing along uh, merrily as as you do, you're a very pleasant person, and suddenly, what? What? <laughs> What's this going on? You know? Yeah. It happens all the time. So, for example, um, we had a, there were every now and then, like any organization, there are changes in positions and people shift and you have to adjust and responsibilities get altered. And um, every, I guess this is, this might not be the best analogy, but I'm going to go for it, Doc, if you don't mind. But know. when, when everybody, when people on my team get nervous about change, I, I ask them, do you ever watch, you know, the Food Network and you see those food challenges and each chef is presented with random groceries and they have to make this masterpiece out of it. And they've they're under the under the clock. They've got 30 minutes Mm -hmm. to create this and they have to kind of pivot if, you know, maybe a secret ingredient is added or taken away. We just have to continue to make that meal. So whatever whatever you need to do to change to make a mind shift to get that meal to be as best as it can be, we have to do that. We can't sit back and watch the clock run out and not and not and not do anything. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. That's a great analogy, and and uh, I think you've pointed out something that makes your job exciting. Is that in in business, a competitive environment of business, the clock has a lot to say about whether you're going to achieve your results or not. I don't care what the results are, whether they're quarterly results or weekly or hourly. And um, and, and certainly that's true, I assume, in, in most of the labs where they, mm-hmm. where most of the tests that they do are time-based and have, uh, hopefully they have predict, predicted results, but when they done, it's similar like the food thing, Oh my goodness. <laughs> Look at right. all these crawly things running around here now. We've never seen those before. So right. getting getting people to loosen up because there is a quietness in those labs there. there my stereotype is they're all looking right. into their microscopes or reading gauges. Uh, uh, but uh, it's wonderful that you can, as in the sales service aspect of your work, you can bring out these uh, stories that people like to tell and then find the the little bit of a plot line or sometimes a major plot line in those stories where you can either on the spot say hey what do you think of this or i assume you come back to your team and you guys have regular uh, debriefings where uh, well what did anyone see this week that stuck out in, in that 80 percent conversation and yes. tell, tell us a little bit of how that works, the team aspect, because you've mentioned several times, I think that's a credit. You never you hardly ever said I. Ah, didn't even you notice said, that, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they may be listening at some point. So you want to. Yeah, that's it. true. That's very true. I've been doing that intentionally. Um, uh, I know it's but, you, you're a team. You're a team leader. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my team honestly is great. And we, it's, it's been, it's been interesting because 
we're vir- we, we've been virtual now, so it's a lot different than we were when we were sitting in the office. So we've had to been try to be a little creative about how we share ideas and best practices because you don't hear that in the sales floor like you would in the office. You can't absorb things like a sponge from people that you hear on their calls. So I have um, every single day we have a team chat open, and I ask everybody to, you know, share their successes. You know, it, it, along with the story, what's working for you, or if you're if you're faced with a challenge, can anybody help me? Because I don't always want to be the answer because I don't have all the answers. Oh, no, you know, no. nobody does. So it's 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 really collaborative, and I do have team meetings every week where we also review. You know, what did you see this week? If we're running, you know, a, a promotion or we're trying to target a certain group or are you having success? Do we need to do we need to change what we're doing? Is our approach working? Is it not? What can we what can we talk about? So it's very open. I never tell them what to do. I really appreciate them taking on their own territories and managing it. I'm always here for assistance, obviously, and for suggestions, but it, I, it's, I find it that the team can't really learn if they're just depending on one resource. Good point. You know what I mean? Good point. And I would leap us back to my classroom years ago. I never felt like I was the only teacher in the room. Mm. Uh, hopefully point. you got, you guys saw that as I had yes. you set up in teams and uh, you know, I brought in guests and, and we went out when we could, we went out uh, to see yeah. business, business in action and, because there was so much more interesting things about management and business and learning back then than I could ever have uh, packed into a lecture or put up on a, on a but what we used to call we didn't even have blackboard back then I don't think right. but but I, I think you you caught on and you're carrying on the doc tradition that's that's, that's good that's good to hear I hope uh, doc. <laughs> how was your team how was your team deployed you mentioned that they have ter- territories you, you've mm-hmm. carved up all of North America from the Arctic Circle down to the uh, uh, Mexican border and more yeah. so how, yeah. how does that work out yep so right now I have eight sales reps and I have three sales admin so the sales admin essentially help out with you know quotes, orders, questions for the entire uh, team. Then my eight sales reps, they're divided. Essentially, we try to keep the territories as combined as possible. So I have two reps that cover Canada um, and part of the U.S. Everybody else has parts of the U.S. You know, uh, one covers the Caribbean, another one covers Puerto Rico. But we try to keep everything as um, close as possible. So, you know, somebody doesn't have California and Maine, you know, they, they either have the West Coast, you know, Central, yeah. East Coast, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And yeah. they can get the the lessons of the geography, the lessons of right. the local, local cultures, the the presence of various labs that, uh, that may not be present in other parts of the country. But after a while, even though I suppose they're not able to get much back on the road yet, or maybe they are, right. they, they still have to... Uh, uh, become familiar, a familiar person. Correct. Oh, here, here comes someone from Perkin Elmer. Yes, yes, yep, yep. Yeah, right now we've been pretty much uh, at home on phones just due to res- travel restric- restrictions still, even within the company. But um, we have been getting out there a little bit more. But honestly, inside sales and outside sales, they're. I'm very pleased with the team because they could do both. 
in, in a pinch, if I need somebody to get on a plane, they can do it. If I need them to make a phone call, they can do it too. So very versatile and I'm very happy with my folks. So they can virtually get out onto a lab floor, can't they, through a, either mm-hmm. you know, a handheld phone or yep. something, and the uh, technician can say, could you uh, just take a look and you can get a fairly close look at a particular mm-hmm. piece of equipment that you're servicing and uh, feed it back. So, yeah, I, that's a wonderful point, uh, Pam, because we used to talk a lot about inside sales and outside sales as if... There are two universes and sales is, is what you're manifesting. You're manifesting a sale. Mm-hmm. So whether you're doing it from a desk over a telephone back in those days, or, you know, walking into someone's presence uh, with your kit. <laughs> right. I'm from Perkin Elmer. Yep. But now I, the fact that your, your people know that they can work virtually mm-hmm. and in person, uh, they are the sales force of the future. Right. Yes. The yes. hybrid, the hybrid sales uh, rep. <laughs> yep. Yep. We have to adapt. Yeah. So yep. now, when you make a deal, though, mm-hmm. for service, there's contracts involved, money to be managed, and so forth. How does that roll back into past your sales admin folks and into the larger company? Because I suspect that you're basically a linchpin between those operations and activities and the larger business. Yep. So you just to bring up, cause you had mentioned contracts. We, um, we actually have another division that handles contracts, but we do sell contracts for our instruments. Um, my team, essentially what we do, my sales reps will, will, will sell physical product, you know, to, to a customer. We then get a purchase order which my sales admin team will process. They'll, you know, process the order. If there are any issues with credit or any questions for the customers, they'll handle that because Mm -hmm. the ideal situation is my sales reps are selling, not doing the, the paperwork on the back end, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're going for. So they've got that nicely integrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are you in the larger, uh, Perkinelmas is an old company. I assume it's still kind of a bit of a bureaucracy. Where are you in the hierarchy? How do you work back to uh, your accountabilities uh, in quotes above you? I, I've mm-hmm. always been bothered by that term. Right. No, I understand. The people who are uh, to whom you report. Yeah. So essentially my role obviously is to manage the team and we have targets and I'm part of a lot of uh, monthly business reviews globally because it's it's a global company. So we, North America is obviously part of that, and we have to report out our numbers and our, um, you know, our struggles, what we need. And I wouldn't even say. Let me rephrase that because I hate saying that. Um, re- places we need help or opportunities that we need assistance with. Yeah. So that's when we I'll, kind of I'll get go together ahead and on that. I'll, I'll edit out struggles if you don't. Okay. Want to. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> but, but we're human, and we therefore right. therefore we struggle. But right. uh, yeah, but I but you do have that going for you. Yeah. Yeah. That you can yep. get that backup that you need. Yeah. When you need it. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, another part of my role is when I do meet with the team, I ask them too. Uh, you know what 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 
obstacles are you coming across? Is there anything that you see as a good opportunity? And they feed me a lot of great ideas. And then it's really on my shoulders at that point to go, if I need to source somebody in marketing to help get us a new you know, brochure or a white paper, or if I need to go to finance to talk about pricing and or go to the contracts team to figure out if we need to work as a team to, you know, get a get a discount together for a larger customer. So, you know, I try to take a lot of stuff off their plate just to help out and make sure they're as successful as they can be so they can do what they do best, which is create relationships with customers. Uh, what's the average uh, age of your sales reps? Are they in the younger side of the spectrum or have they been there a long while? Well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. The The department I'm in is actually relatively new. It's mm-hmm. only been around for about five years and I've been here for four. Yeah. Prior to that, essentially customer service was just t- taking inbound calls and placing orders. Mm-hmm. And the company said, well, maybe if we had salespeople calling on customers to get you business <laughs> and, you know, upselling, that might be a good idea. <laughs> um <laughs> So the, my team itself, nobody's been here longer than five years. But as far as age range, uh, varies significantly. Yeah. And experience level, they all have sales experience, but completely different backgrounds, which I find to be extremely beneficial because yes. everybody has a different viewpoint is bringing something else to the table. I think diversity is. So they is don't key. have to necessarily come out of a STEM program with loads of uh of the same kind of uh, technical knowledge that their their customers do. Right. Absolutely not. No. But they do want to be uh, aggressive learners in the best sense yeah. of aggressive. They mm-hmm. want to be sure that, hey, look, this may not be where, you know, I'm a liberal arts major, but I really want to understand how this laboratory takes. Yeah, that's right. great. Yeah. There's, kind of, there's all kinds of diversity. But one aspect that I keep coming across in, in trying to understand the nature of practice is that, the background helps, but it doesn't necessarily dictate how you're going to perform now or in the future that you may have to be like, uh, I can't think of the animal that sheds their, well, a snake, you know, sheds their skin and and you keep going. Um, and yet you keep the essence of your background. Right. Uh, When, when you, you came to central, um, were we, were you commuting back then? Were you, uh, I was commuting. I was commuting and working, yes. Yeah. And in that work ethic, which I counted on, because, you know, I used to load those those classes with work, uh, lots yeah. of reading, lots of writing, lots of interacting, because I figured I was preparing you for that reality is a business, you know, yeah, which is right. what you've been doing all these years since. A lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of talking, a lot of listening. Um, yes. But is there anything that, you know, since I'm now serving my ego in this moment, anything you remember about your, your learning with me that you might still have some, you might still find in your work DNA? Yeah, actually, well, pl- I, have, I have plenty um, I can't believe it's been that long since I've graduated, but I do have plenty of fond memories of, of your class doc and classes actually that I had with you. But one thing that I could say that I, that I can kind of pull into my current career is that you always did something different. Like you said earlier, you know, we, we would, you'd pull us into groups and we'd have to interact with people that maybe, you know, had a different background than 
we did, or you know, some some of us were working and commuting, some were living on campus and not working. And it was it was great to see people that had different experiences and 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 kind of and work together and come to decision and learn from other people. It was also great when you would, you know, give us the opportunity to go to, you know, a a, a brunch to meet other local professionals that you know, and at the time, you know, you're a college student, you're meeting these people that are wildly successful. And, and it's, it, it was just eye-opening, you know, to get the opportunity to talk to these people that otherwise you wouldn't have a chance to interact with. So I think just kind of stepping outside of the safe zone is something that I did learn like from you yeah. and carry that on throughout my career. Yeah, well, you sure have a quick summary of your career, Pam. You, when you left the Beakley, which is a very small uh, standalone corporation. What did you do next? I went to um, More Medical, which is well is now McKesson, but it was owned by McKesson at the time. So I was in medical sales there. Uh, after that, I went to a pharmaceutical company. You doing uh, sales management in the pharmaceuticals company or management? I was a super. I was t well, a team lead at that point. Um, mm -hmm. I was also a trainer at More Medical. And um, just been kind of waiting for the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. No kidding. Because I missed it. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did. See, that, that's a clear sign that you were well aligned with your practice uh, uh, profile. If you want to say you have a profile. Mm -hmm. that, that, that feeling that, all right, I'll try this. I'll do a bit of that. I know I have to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. But waiting for that, that moment. Can you, can you remember, Pam? five years ago or four years ago when this opportunity just there it was emerging from the from the fog <laughs> yes apparently yeah how, I, how did you find it how did they find you well i made it honestly another thing too doc just to i will answer this question but to just come back to what you asked me before about things that i that i learned from you know being in your classes and and learning from you is networking oh, yeah. so so i am uh, my current director we never actually worked together but we had aligning jobs and we knew similar past co-workers and i've always said that work ethic is just the most important thing in the world because even if you quit your current job connecticut's a small state so word gets around word gets around and just because of my previous jobs and the networking that I had done, my current director actually found me, recruited me. And I went in there and I just I had the mindset of, I'm going to manage this team one day. And actions speak louder than words. So I, I did get a promotion and it's been an amazing journey. That's I can tell you story. that. That's a great story. Yeah, because that person, your director, essentially used up some uh, coin of the, you know, the coin of the realm in, in that world, your world is uh, reputation. And uh, he or she put a reputation out there and said, you should, uh, we, we should try Pam. And of course, if you'd come in there and then you had gone half asleep, which I cannot imagine with you, Nope. or anything else that didn't show that you were really eager 
it probably would have been a, a, another story altogether. But right. you did. You're doing it, and you're rocking it. Uh, last couple of minutes here. Sure. Uh, what are you hoping for next? Now that you've kind of settled into or not settled into, I mean, now you have uh, navigated into a nice cruising altitude, if you will, for the new phase of your practice. What what are you what are you looking for and hoping for next? Well, short-term goal and long-term goal. I have I have two. So short-term goal is to expand my team and give other team members opportunities if they do want to expand into a lead or handle other responsibilities. Uh, I don't want anybody to ever feel that they're just sitting there stagnant and nothing's ever going to change because mm-hmm. a board employee is not a happy employee. And, and, a board, and a board Pam is not a happy. Person. Correct. <laughs> so I can see you're really enjoying that, you know, the yeah. native, native uh, person developer in you. you know, so that's yeah. a great, that's a great short-term goal. Yeah. Yeah. Now to the longer term. So the long term goal is I really do enjoy this company. Uh, I would like once once I kind of have the opportunity to develop people, I'd like to step up a level and mm-hmm. take on more responsibility and and become more engaged with other areas within the company. And um, and and just kind of go from there and yeah. and 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 learn things that I don't know right now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just I just don't want to stop. I guess is the point. <laughs> that is a great point. Even though we have to stop the recording in a few minutes, I want sure. to underscore uh, how much I really appreciate your last your long term goal. Now, back in the old days, there was sort of the Dil- Dilbert kind of view of people in upper management mocking and you know they're always interfering i have been watching trends as carefully as i can from afar here since i've been retired for six long years and but i'm picking up on another uh generation of managerial leaders at the level you're aspiring many many of them are women minorities they don't look insane many of them are uh have reached that point younger than you and some are waiting, but the point is I'm making is that the action is happening a lot in that level now. Whereas in the old days, that middle managing group was there basically to take orders from the top and repeat them to the to the base and then kind of monitor the in-between. That's not what you're aspiring to, is it? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. You don't want to be a really good bear. There's a lot of job security in that. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's the myth of it, anyway. What? Yep. How would you see yourself working in a more dynamic middle ground for for a business that's trying to stay young and relevant, even though it's almost ninety years old? Right, right. So, I mean, I guess my viewpoint, just regardless of what level of management you're you are at, it's important not to just bark down from the top. That doesn't accomplish anything. What I do right now currently, which I hope to continue in any future position, is take feedback from both sides Mm -hmm. and never just come up with a complaint about what you didn't like to hear. Come up with a solution or a suggestion Mm -hmm. for for both sides. And Mm -hmm. it it seems to be working right now. And that's kind of how I plan to uh, 
you're never going to get everything you want, but mm-hmm. you know, you can offer up suggestions, solutions. If things work, they work. If they don't, they don't. And, and you adjust. Yeah. And, and therefore in your way, you're driving a very big, very venerable company in your way and through you efforts and your team, you're driving that company's business. You're helping them achieve those results that they want. And, and you get, you get a part of that. You get some reward for that. So I'm really happy for you, Pam Patanka. Oh, thank really you. Am. I'm glad I rediscovered you on LinkedIn. Yeah. No, I'm glad you found me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm glad you sent me an invite. This has been great. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and uh, next time we do connect, we don't have to create another episode unless you want to share some even more exciting uh, achievements that you've made. But uh, let's talk again soon. That sounds good. All right, Doc. Thanks so much. Bye, Pam. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction in the nature of practice, head over to connectionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us, And it's a a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.